because every organization has a culture. And if you do not build one of leadership development, you will not develop leaders. It's pretty much that simple. And welcome to the CCDA podcast. Today, Alvin Sanders teaches us how to create a leadership pipeline. This workshop is taken from the CCDA Online Institute. We join this session now. My name is Alvin Sanders, and you are in uh, How to Create a Leadership Pipeline workshop. Uh, we're going to take the next couple of minutes to uh, talk about how to do leadership development from an urban leadership CCD type perspective, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a, a nonprofit leader. So it's told from the perspective it assumes that you are leading something. So if you're not leading something, it's all good. One day you will, all right? So <laughs> if you are leading something, then we're going to talk from that perspective. Uh, the way that I want to do it is I want to try to uh, give you all the content, hopefully within 20 to, to 30 minutes. And then after that, then we just sort of have a, a Q&A because I want to make sure that I address the questions that you all have. So I'm going to try to give you all the content, then we'll have a Q&A time, and then we'll wrap it up around 2.45. Sound good? So let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you today for uh, being here. Thank you, Lord, for all of these practitioners who are doing ministry work in some of the toughest places in the entire country. We pray, God, that we will just be iron sharpening iron here in this workshop and that we would be able to engage one another so that we can walk out of here and be better leaders within your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So I, I hate when I go to workshops and the speaker never tells me anything about themselves. OK, so I'm not going to give you a, a lifelong history of myself, but I'm just going to give you a touch a little bit. Um, that's my fam right there. The shrimp in the middle is my wife, Carolyn. We've been married for 22 years. Um, girl on the left in the polka dot dress is my daughter, Hannah, who goes to the Ohio State University. Thank you very much. And uh, you get over it. Don't worry about it. And then the one on the right, that's my uh, youngest, Gabby. She's in the 10th grade in the arts and all that. So I grew up a military brat. My father was in the Air Force for 30 years. So any other military brats out there? That's where I was. Spent kindergarten in Japan, England, all that good stuff. Uh, I told you I was married to Carolyn for 22 years. I've served 25 years in ministry. Literally, um, I'm 46 years old, so literally almost half my life I've been in ministry. I got a young call. It's called the ministry at 21 in the old Hozak Street Missionary Baptist Church. Y'all grow a Missionary Baptist Church? There was no training in that church. They said, oh, you call, <laughs> you call the preach? We go find out. Trial sermon next week. So some of us came up hard, y'all. I don't know how the rest of y'all did. I got a bachelor's from Cincinnati Christian University, master's from Trinity, PhD from Miami University of Ohio. I just tell you all that just to say this ain't my first rodeo. I don't know if I can tell you what to do in urban ministry, but I can definitely tell you what not to do because I've made enough mistakes for everybody in here. So here's what we're going to talk about today. You all see this diagram or this picture, I should say. Somebody exp explain to me what's happening here. Domino effect. What's the domino effect? Yeah. So this poor dude starts something and he thinks he's on his way. Right. 
And then eventually after time, it's going to circle back around and crush him. Okay. How many of you urban leaders have felt that way? All right. You went out with your good intentions and you went in the hood, you did your stuff. And then all of a sudden it came back to crush you. We're going to talk about that in the sense of the realm of leadership development within the urban context. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out for you uh, the problems, the, the major problem, and then I'm going to lay out for you a model, and then I'm going to talk to you about a case study. As over my 25 years, I've done a lot of different ministries, a lot of different things, but my baby is River of Life Church which I planted with my wife, Carolyn, in the inner city of Cincinnati from 2000 and pastored it to 2007. We started that church in the middle of a race riot. Didn't learn how to do that in seminary, y'all, okay? But if some of you are old enough to remember in 2000, spring of 2001, there was a young African-American man by the name of Timothy Thomas that was killed by a white police officer. It was a Ferguson type of situation. And it was on the news, CNN, all that stuff. That was the first week of my church plant in that neighborhood, over the Rhine. Second most violent neighborhood in the entire country at that particular time. So, um, yeah, I have been to the Ivory Tower, but I have learned the school of hard knocks. Okay? So what I'm telling you today is not something that, you know, oh, I just dreamed up somewhere and wrote a paper about it. I have done that, but that's not, you know, that's not the genesis of the knowledge. So here's what I know. Successful urban ministries are typically ran by high capacity leaders who do not intentionally practice leadership development. Most of the time. Most urban and or slash CCD practitioners are I call 10 talent people. You can do all kinds, you can wear five hats. You know, you can do all kinds of different things. And you're out there and you're doing good and you're doing all these different things and, and, and the Lord is blessing it and it's moving. But most do not stop to think that one day it may circle around and it may crush you. Here's the problem. Three main things. There are too many emerging leaders that are disconnected and isolated within our communities. Yeah, they're leading. Yeah, they're being fruitful. Yeah, they're being productive. But it's like, well, what do you do for fun? I cast out demons. You know, it's like. <laughs> they're, they're disconnected. They're isolated. You'll be on the same block and two people will be on that block for 20 years and don't know each other. Never did anything together. Never hung out. They got their tent revival, you got your tent revival. Isolated and disconnected. Another problem is too many have little to no ministry training. Listen, I love Hozak Street Missionary Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio, which I grew up in. Okay? But there was a whole lot of stuff that I went through that I did not have to go through. If somebody would have took me under their wing and just taught me the ropes... Three, the work of God suffers or dies when the high-capacity leader leaves. 
if you don't learn how to build a culture of leadership development within your ministry, if God calls you to another assignment or you leave by way of, of we all going to die one day, right? There are too many urban ministries, CCD ministries, that when the original founder, the original entrepreneur, the original 10 talent person is gone, the ministry collapses. And that is not what God wants. He does not want that. So I'm going to talk to you today about how we can build something that, um, where that doesn't happen. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is the Megabus. They got Megabus in your community? Megabus is awesome. Anyways. Who is your bus person? And this is what I mean by bus person. If a bus hits you tomorrow and you die, who have you been preparing to take your place? All right? Now, if you're in year one, it's okay not to have a a bus person. If you're in year 20 and you don't have a bus person... Somebody said, that's a problem. (laughs) But actually, you need bus. It's actually not bus person. You need bus people. Okay? Because many of you who've worked in an urban context, you know, if you just got one, that person might not make it. You need to increase your your percentages, right? And have a bunch of bus people so that when you get, when, when, when the Lord decides to move you on, that the ministry can continue to flow and run in the way that God intends for it to run. So we all need to be thinking about who is our bus person. And if you don't have one, your assignment is to get one immediately. All right. So now here's the solution. A systemic process for leadership development. Systemic is not contrary to spirit filled. Let me repeat that. Systemic is not contrary to spirit filled. If you are, especially if you're a CEO or if you're the lead pastor, you must build systems within your ministry so that you build what's called a culture within your organization. Culture is merely a, a word that talks about values, attitudes, and beliefs that the people within your organization possess, okay? Because every organization has a culture, and if you do not build one of leadership development, you will not develop leaders. It's pretty much that simple, all right? So here's your two types of people in the typical urban ministry context that's your two buckets of leaders. The first one is what I call the... The community called people. This is the Jesus, Jesus on the main line, right? He called you. You didn't grow up there. Some of you didn't have a clue of that you're going to end up there. Some of you didn't want to go there. But God called you to that community. And so you are what I call a community called leader. I'm a community called leader. Contrary to popular belief, by some presidential candidates, all black people did not grow up in the inner city. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for y'all. But forgive me, forgive me for that. All of us didn't grow up in the inner city and worry about getting shot in the face. I grew up on military bases. About the safest spot you can ever grow up. 
just trying to get on the base, all right? Grew up on military base. And when my dad retired, I, I grew up on the east side of Columbus, which was a blue-collar, working, working class type, of t- type side of the town. You know, about a third of the people that I grew up with uh, went off to college and got white-collar jobs. The other third, you know, were productive citizens of society. And then another third, it was Pookie and them. Yeah, they may have went to jail or whatnot. But I did not grow up in any type of hood-type situation. I'm a community-called person. I was called to the community at 21 to go and minister there. So that's one bucket of people that you have that's a part of your ministry. The other bucket, so I call community citizens. These are people who grew up in the context. They understand everything that's going on. And God has given you the privilege to minister to them and to lead them. Okay? So that's generally speaking, these are the two types of people that you have within your ministry. And what we have to do is we have to create a system that's equal and fair to both types. Now, in in the vein of of Brenda Salter McNeil, who last night, if you heard her preach, she, she, she was getting real with us and all that stuff. So if this offends you, you blame her for what I'm about to say. Okay? I've been coming to CCDA since 1998. Okay, I used to be a CCDA board member. So what this is is a little family talk. Family can talk about themselves. Y'all know that, right? But it's still family. If you talk about them, you're going to have to answer, right? But I'm family. Let me tell you something about typical CCD ministry. Heavy on community calls, light on community citizens when it comes to leadership. When it comes to leadership... Your typical CCD ministry, when you look at the leadership, it's Becky from the sticks. It's not D'Amico from the hood. Y'all looking at me like I'm making this up. Do I got to do a survey? Don't let me embarrass you. Don't let I mean, come on now. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you that this family talk, right? All right. Heavy on community call. Light on community citizens when it comes to the leadership. And I honestly don't think that it's racism or classism, although there may be a touch of that. What I honestly think is most CCD practitioners don't know how to build a culture of leadership development, period. I I really think that's what the issue is. And that's what I want to try to rectify. So here's a a model that I'm going to walk you through. Simple model. Identify, develop, empower, release. Walk you through each one of them. But I will tell you right now, especially if you are a CEO or the head pastor, or someone in senior leadership. If you do not commit to organizing your ministry around leadership development principles, it will not happen. It will not happen. I hate to tell y'all, but this ain't a grassroots thing. 
in terms of the organization. You can't develop leadership culture as an organization from the grassroots people. You have to develop the culture from the senior leaders. So that means, senior leaders, you have to make a significant amount of time to practice leadership development yourself in order for your staff and your organization to take it seriously and for them to do it as well. So I'm going to just introduce you a simple model of how you can do that. Let's start with the first one. Identify. That's you right there. You are in the weeds. You got your binoculars out. You are looking for the next CEO of your, of your ministry. You're looking for your next COO. You're looking for all the different people that need to function in order for you to lead a successful ministry. You should constantly be on the lookout. And so what are you looking for? First thing you got to understand, you good-hearted Christians, everybody is not a leader. I should make y'all repeat after me, but I won't do that. You must play favorites. You do not have time for everybody. I know, I know, some of you are ready to argue. I've done this before. I told you, people, oh my, oh my God, he's going to hell. Nope, nope. <laughs> Let me give you a brief synopsis of how Jesus did it. You don't think Jesus played favorites? Jesus had 12 people who he spent three some odd years with. Now, he spoke to the masses. He did ministry everywhere. But who spent time with Jesus? Jesus selected 12 people. He said, these are my people who are going to propagate the gospel around the world, and I'm going to be available for these 12. I'm not available for everybody, but I'm available for these 12, and I'm going to do extra investment in these 12. And then Jesus went another, went another realm. He had three within the 12, Peter, James, and John, who even in the 12 that he was investing in, he invested in the three. Okay. So I know it sounds cold-hearted. I know it sounds mean. I'm a former CCD practitioner. I understand what you're saying. But, but, but such and such. You do not have time for everybody. Not if you're going to build a culture of leadership development. Now, if you're not going to build that culture, then have time for everybody. Okay? But you've got to figure out where your boundaries are. And you must play favorites. And who should you be playing favorites with? You need to recruit talented, undeveloped individuals who display three things consistently. If they don't display these three things, they are not leaders. Hi, I'm Lorenzo. What I love about CCDA is being connected to so many amazing leaders across the country. Welcome to the CCDA podcast. I know I sound mean, y'all, but I got to tell you the truth. The ability to gather, work well with, and motivate people. By the way, um, I'll give you all my email address, and if you want this PowerPoint, I can send it to you if you don't want to take notes. Okay? Sorry, I meant to say that at the beginning. But, <laughs> yeah, you can take pictures if you want, but I'll give you my email address. I'll send this to you. All right. So the ability to gather, work well with, and motivate people, whoever it is, I don't care if it's a community citizen, I don't care if it's a community called person, they have to be able to gather, work well with, and motivate people, okay? 
Second thing is the ability to understand the big picture when it comes to ministry. They can see it all. They can pull it together. This talks about being able to deal with complex situations. This is what I mean by, by, by someone who, who is naturally sort of wired for leadership. Like, say that I came in here and I had somebody with me and I had a, a TV. And the TV was all disassembled up here on this table. All right? And I brought a person in. They don't know anything about building TVs. They have no clue how to do it. But I say to that person, I'm going to come back to this room in two weeks, and I want to watch TV. And I walk out. Okay? I come back in two weeks. I turn the TV on. They've called me a couple of times, maybe four or five times. But other than a couple of, giving a couple of directions, they got the TV to work. Okay? If I brought somebody in here, and I put all the things on the table, and I said, I'm coming back in two weeks, I want you to make this TV work, and they run out the room, that's not a leader. Okay? Or if I lay it out, and they call me every 30 minutes asking for direction, that's not a leader. Okay? And the problem is, most CCD practitioners are drawn to the person who calls every 30 minutes asking for direction. Go ahead and say ouch. I know. I know. That's not a leader. And if you're in upper leadership, you shouldn't be answering the phone every 30 minutes. I tell my staff, I got nine people on my team. I say, here's my job. I am going to get, if you cut grass, I'm going to give you everything you need to cut the grass. But if I got to cut it, there's a problem. And I got to wonder why you're on my team. Because I ain't got time to cut your grass. Because I got nine of y'all. I can't cut all nine lawns. Now, I can give you direction. I can give you gas. I can give you a new lawnmower. I can give you whatever you need. But I cannot cut the grass. The third thing, the ability to manage themselves well. Oh, we're having a meeting. Where's Johnny? Oh, Johnny ain't around again? Man, where is Johnny? You know where Johnny is? If you got to constantly be doing that, they're not a leader. Listen, I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm not saying they're not good people. I'm not saying you shouldn't love them. I'm saying they're not a leader. And that's not the type of person you pull into your pipeline to work with. You're going to have a hard enough time with people who have a chance. So if you don't select right off the bat, really, really, really well, it's going to cause you a lot of wasted time and a lot of heartache. Okay? Also, is there anything up here about um, bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD? Not needed. I don't care what they have. If they don't have these three things, it's not going to work. I've seen plenty of dumb doctorates in my life, okay? <laughs> I'm one that got a doctorate, okay? I've seen plenty of people, and I'm like, holy smokes. Okay? Sorry, y'all, just trying to be a little blunt. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, other thing, develop. For identified individuals, craft ministry or volunteer jobs as multi-year growth assignments. If you see a promising leader, 
don't just give them a job. Give them a growth assignment. Give them something that they are going to grow in. Because oftentimes job descriptions around just the work that needs to be done. Not for the person who you want to develop as a leader. You don't just give them something to be, to be done. You sit down with them and you, and you lay out the following things. You do an evaluation with them of what is going well and where she or he needs improvement. All right? You list three to five priorities she or he needs to focus on in order to grow as a leader. Right? Remember, this is a multi-year process. So you say, we're going to lay out a three-year process l- listing these things. Schedule at the very least, at the very least, monthly mentoring times. So as they're doing their growth assignment, you need to be there to help mold them, to help shape them. When I start off with with, with my people within World Impact, we start off every week. Every week, Skype call. I'm the Skype king. Okay? Every week. We on Skype. How you doing? We're talking it through. They've got a list of questions that they got to answer. And then eventually over time, I move to monthly. Okay? But at the very least, you need to be meeting with them monthly. That's why you've got to clear your plate. That's why you've got to clear your agenda. That's why you can't hang with everybody. You've got to make time for people to do these types of things who you know are going to continue to grow. Third, at least to empowerment. Embrace the -the on-the-job training method of Jesus, which was providing relevant experience plus constructive feedback. So how did Jesus do it? If you look at Jesus' training method, it was very simple. With the disciples, I'm going to do it. You all going to watch. There was a period for a while where they did that. Right? If you have someone who you have identified, they should be at your side. You call it shadowing in the black church. Okay? You would shadow someone. You don't do anything. Just shadow and see how things are done. Okay, so when you do an important thing, you should never do important things by yourself. If you've identified someone, you're going to a board meeting, you're, you're going anywhere that's very important. So hopefully some of you got some, some bus people and you brought them to CCDA, right? This is a very important. I want you to come with me. I want you to learn with me. I want you to shadow me. Then Jesus said, I do, you assist. Then he began to give them things to do. And then, you know, they would run into walls and they run into situations and then he would help them and then they would discuss it and they would dialogue about it. You do, I assist. So then there's a phase and there's a period of time where the person is in charge and you, you have them give you things to do. And then the last phase is you do, I watch. You got it. You're in charge. I'm going to be a fly on the wall. I'm going to watch you do this. And then when you do it, and after you do these things, then we're going to engage, right? That's how Jesus empowered people. That's how he empowered the disciples. And then release, okay? And this may actually be the toughest one. He or she is not your mini-me. She or he does not belong to you. There... There will be people who you invest in and you have no idea, but they ain't sticking around. God is going to move them and it's going to hurt you and you have to let them go. Allow he or she to make their own mistakes and learn. Let people, people do not learn unless they make mistakes. 
you did not learn unless you make mistakes. You know, I get up here in this rarefied air of senior vice president, and I act like I ain't never made a mistake. And I'm working with someone, and I'm like, oh, they're just so silly, right? <laughs> and then I think about myself at their age, and I was like, I was dumb as a rock at their age. So my job is not to belittle them. I won't let them make a fatal mistake. But if they're, gonna ma- if they're doing something, you know they're going to make a mistake, you need to be there and help them learn from it. Okay? And then if done correctly, you will multiply leaders both inside and outside of your ministry, so hold people loosely. Um, let me quickly go through River of Life, a quick case study, then we'll go to questions. River of Life Church, I told you a little bit about it, planted in inner city Cincinnati, multi-ethnic church, multi-social class. Um, I didn't have the model as polished as it is now, but I was doing these things, and from day one, I was starting to develop people. We had three prongs. We called it a um, three-leg stool is what we used to call it. There were three things that we majored in when we planted this church in the city of Cincinnati using the CCD philosophy. One was, this is going to shock you. You ready? You ready? We were an actual church. I have to remind people of that. It's, it's not a gospel mission. Nothing wrong with gospel missions. But no, I don't need volunteers. I need church members. Okay? People come in and say, what do you want me to do? I want you to um, join the small group. I want you to, you know, take part in the potluck. I mean, we, we were a church, a disciple-making church. I want you to disciple some people. You know, all the things that normal churches do, we built a strong disciple-making church in the heart of the community. And that can be lost in the inner city context. It, it amazes me that, no, we actually do church. We're an actual church, okay? The other part of the stool was the CCD component which we called our compassion to the community. We, did a, we had a 501c3 that did an after-school center and a food pantry. Okay, so we did the CCD part. But let me be clear. This is another family talk thing, y'all, so get ready. The church came first and was the anchor. The CCD did not wag the tail of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this isn't an either or thing. I'm just saying the CCD, which has the potential to bring in much more money and have much more staff, has the potential to hijack the mission of the church if you let it. So the church was the anchor. The church came first. The CCD was a component of the church's outreach. Okay, And then the third major thing was the leadership development component. So those, those were our three legacy schools. Because I believe that there's a crisis in leadership within the urban context. And it is the job of the urban church to be a leadership development center. Of the citizens that live in that community and the people who are called to be part of that ministry. So those were the three things. So that was to set up a River of Life church. Here were, here were the, the seven folk who we were the most successful with. Um, JR, he ended up planting a church in Boston. 
This is an inner city church in Cincinnati. About 100, ended up from, from 2000, 2007, we went from my four to about 100 people. So we weren't this big mega church with all this money. This is what God did. He ended up planting a church in Boston. BC, she ended up leading an orphanage in Kosovo. JD is a youth pastor in Cincinnati. TW became a River of Life church elder. HM started as a food pantry client, now runs the food pantry. RW, youth pastor in the San Francisco Bay Area. Long way from Cincinnati, but God does what he does, right? AD, River of Life associate pastor. Okay? Just simply using this model. Now, my dad used to listen to a guy named Paul Harvey, and he would say, let me tell you the rest of the story. Because I'm not, this is what I also hate about workshops. They only tell you your success stories. They don't tell you, like, what really happened. Okay? (laughs) This is what happened from 2000 to 2007. God called me on in 2008 to go somewhere else to minister for my denomination at the time. Um, I talked to the leadership that was there, and I said, hey, listen. Um, How do we want to do this? You know, I can leave immediately or I can ease out how you guys want to do it. You know, it's kind of like the kids growing up now. Right. Been doing all this leadership development stuff. It's 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 SAT time now. Right. It's test time. So I go, hey, so how do we want to do this? And I said, T.W., I think T.W. could take my place. They said, "Nah, Pastor T.W. can't preach. I'm sorry. (laughs) I said, well, I can train and preach. Nah, you leaving. And we're going to find somebody else. I'm like, all right, y'all, I'm going to trust y'all. Do your thing, right? So they found somebody else. That person came in. I left because I didn't feel like the founding pastor could be there and that guy could be effective in his ministry. Um, we had about 120 or so people. When I left in 2008, when he left in 2011, there were 45 people and the doors were barely open. Okay, And the only reason it didn't close is because it was a culture of leadership development. Because there were two elders who had been developed and they outlasted him. And they kept that thing together and they kept it going. And it was ugly. And I couldn't go back. It's like daddy couldn't go help the child because God made it very clear. Stay away. And I tried to intervene and I got in trouble. My wife said, what did God tell you? Because they saw me as the meddling founding pastor. I'm like, meddling founding? I'm the founder. Y'all tripping, you know, right? <laughs> you know? Y'all tripping. What you mean I can't speak into this, you know? <laughs> My wife said, stay out of it. Stay out of it. Didn't you tell me God said stay out of it? Yes, yeah, stay out of it. Stay out of it. So I'm watching this thing die from afar. And then in 2012, God called uh, a a community citizen from the south side of Chicago. South side, side, right? He took over as pastor. He hit town. He called me up, said, hey, I just want to have a couple of lunches with you. Said, all right. Had a couple of lunches with him. Six months in, he said, hey, we want you to come back. Why don't you come back? And I said, I'll come back under one condition. I'm not in leadership. I said, I got a job. 
I'm not coming back to pastor this church. So um, I'll be head usher. That's a promotion anyway. So I'll be head usher. So I came on back, handed out bulletins. Nobody knew who I was because all the people had basically left. All right. And a couple people knew. He asked me to preach one Sunday. I got preached. I got up and preached. The next Sunday, this guy came in. He said, hey, you're a pretty good preacher for an usher. <laughs> Eventually, they found out I was the founding pastor. But, you know, now I just we just attend there. I hand out the bulletins. We run the marriage ministry. My wife's a therapist because you need to be a therapist to be married to me. So she's a therapist. We run the marriage ministry. We don't leave. We don't do anything else. The church is now larger than it's ever been, bringing in as much money as it's ever been. In fact, it went from 45 people and barely keeping its doors open to within two years paying off the building. Tell me leadership doesn't matter. The only time that church struggled is when it did not have a strong leader at the top doing leadership development throughout the congregation. That is the only time the church has struggled in the 16 years it's been in existence. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hello, I'm Paul Miles, president and CEO of We Raise Foundation. We Raise invests in people and organizations that serve at the intersection of poverty, violence and inequality. We start by acknowledging that change begins with we. We are in this together, and it's going to take our love and our compassion and dedication to solve the problems facing communities today. We invite you to be part of that with us and encourage you to visit weraise.org to find out how you can become involved and be a partner with We Raise. If you have a question or a concern and a comment, um, we have about 30 minutes or so. Come forward. They're taping this. So if you've got a question, come forward. Ask your question within the mic. And then um, I'll answer it with the mic. Thank you uh, for the excellent, 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 excellent information. Um, the elephant in the room is, as you just disqualified all of the people that we babysit, <laughs> ain't that many people left. <laughs> So, so how do you find those who are cultivated to be in leadership as we continue to put them in the pipeline? Okay, so hold up. You're telling me you got nobody in your congregation. Nobody. Everybody. I know you do. I know him. Okay, so we could. I know you got a lot of people. So it's hard to find them people that you told us not to spend a whole bunch of time with. Okay, here's the deal. You got to change your values and attitudes, beliefs about where you should be spending your time. It's just that simple. It ain't, it ain't rocket science. I know. You want to be with Juju and them. I know. I understand. Now, I didn't say no one spend time with them. I just said you don't spend time with them. You build up a team of others as part of their training to spend time with them. You understand that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, come forward. Yeah, stop in the mic. Hi. Well, I have a comment first, then a question. Um, my comment is Go Bucks, OH. 
Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> so my question, in your experience, the person that is constantly calling and want to be, you know, they, they want to be involved, they want to help, but they're the one that you don't need to babysit. In your experience, how did you have that conversation with them? How did you sit down and say? Right. <laughs> okay. So they want, they want to be with you for shepherding or with you because they want to be a leader. They want to Okay, do you have any criteria for someone to be a leader in your situation? Um, well, yeah. Just, well, first of all, being able to kind of, to... Um, well, well, hold on, let me ask you this. Formal criteria, written down somewhere, and everybody knows about it. Okay, well, I think, first of all, if I give you a task, first of all, you can't complete, like, the simplest of tasks. So be able to complete a task, follow through. Um, even if you need help along the way, follow through, finish, finish what you've started. Let me ask again. Do you have any formal criteria written down, like things that these are the, these are the type of people that if you can do these things, then you can enter into our leadership pathway development? Okay. Because when you do that, you automatically put criteria and boundaries for who are, who's going to be in your leadership circle and who's not going to be in your leadership circle. So I would encourage you to do that right, you know, as best you can for wherever you're at. Just say, hey, okay, for leaders, these are the, type of, these are the things I need to be happening in the ministry. You could start with the three that I told you, you know. And then when you get those type of people and they can't, do those you could just sit down with them and say hey listen if you want to be in my leadership circle i need you to do these things there you go yep thank you ma'am mm -hmm. yes um as a um well i'm like the only african-american man in my church i'm a midnight and so everybody there is about 50 60 70 80 years old and i'm like 27 and so, God called me to that church, but okay. the generations collide in um, leadership. So, as a young believer, how do I, I mean, what's, what's the proper way um, of being a leader if the older people looking at, are looking at me in a way that, why would I listen to him if he's so younger than me? Yeah. Yeah, intergenerational things are pretty tough. Um, Obviously, you have a love for them. They have a love for you. Uh, you know, you really just, it's all about building a relationship with them and letting them know and telling them the truth in love of the things that you think need to happen in order for the church to move forward, in order for you to grow in your faith. And then you have to do that over a period of time. But then I hate to say there may come a time where it's like, you know what? This might not be a place for me to grow. Um, a lot of young leaders, particularly millennials in their 20s or so, a common problem that they have is that the upper level leadership won't listen to them and don't take them seriously. And unfortunately, a lot of them, they say, you know what, I'm going out, start my own thing, or I'm going to, you know, to a church that is going to listen to me. But that's about, you know, you have to do your own discernment in, in terms of that. But you also have to take into reality that, you know what, this spot might not work for me. 
Now, I'm not saying give up on the spot. I'm saying you need to be long-suffering and you need to, to engage for a long period of time in trying to get them to turn the ship. Because for all we know, God called you there to revive that place. I mean, you do know you're what's called an outlier, right? Most 27-year-olds are not going to... You know, when you look at research in a chart and you see all the dots in one area and you see one dot way over here, that's you. You way over there. <laughs> okay? Most 27-year-olds are not with that. Only black person and only young person, God may actually be calling you to help bring revival to that spot. I'm dead. I'm being as serious as a heart attack to you. So you need to take that into consideration and to really, really work hard to engage that leadership and engage those folk and try to see if they will open the door for you to be able to bring what God has imparted in you to bring there. Okay. And then if, and then after a while, if it doesn't work, then you might have to discern and say, God, are you calling me somewhere else? Y'all, if you got a question, you got to come forward. Don't raise your hand. I ain't coming to you. I just want to encourage you, brother. Um, we have a gentleman, younger gentleman in our congregation like yourself who felt the same struggle. But what he did, he started reaching people for Jesus and bringing people to the church. And these cats are getting baptized. And you can't deny that. Here's a leader bringing people to Jesus. It put, immediately put our eyes on him. Yes, thank you for that word. So my question is, um, if you're spending time with the people that you're grooming as leaders, then everybody else feels like they're being ignored. So, and so how do you avoid creating a sense of like, these are this is the leaders club and I don't care about you guys, you know, when you're really trying to you know, get your work done? Yeah. It's not a zero-sum game, y'all, okay? I'm saying you spend the majority of your time with your leaders. I'm not saying spend all your time with your leaders. Okay, like I said, the model of Jesus, Jesus spoke to the masses. Jesus healed people. Jesus was out amongst the people. He was a man of the people. That's part of why he got killed, because he was too common. I'm just saying you need to carve out a portion of your life though that you say, okay, I am going to spend with this group in order to develop them. So does that set more clarity? Yeah, absolutely. And so another question is similar to what that young man said, but in, in terms of interracial. So if you're part of a church that's predominantly white or feels white and you have minority people, you need minority leaders, but they feel very uncomfortable or feel like they don't, they're not going to be heard or, you know, all sorts of reasons why they shouldn't step up. But it's needed in a, especially in an inner city uh, church or CCD mindset. Okay, so what's the question? Oh, so mine says, how do we encourage um, bridging that, you know, bringing up a minority or a indigenous leader, you know, that doesn't feel like they can do it or doesn't feel like they want, they're wanted? This is going to be a completely shameful answer, okay? Buy my book called Bridging the Diversity Gap, <laughs> which is 250 pages. It talks about that very thing. Actually, I'm, I'm actually being serious. I can't really answer that in 30 seconds. No, but it's on Kindle. Okay. <laughs> Help send Hannah to Ohio State by bridging the diversity gap. But really quickly, the, the main thing that you have to do, there's three, there's three barriers, okay? There's three barriers. There's a barrier called um, ethnic borders, which is we all have values, attitudes, and beliefs based on our ethnicities. We, uh, there's a barrier called racialization. All right. And racialization is is basically when a society is 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 sort of um, what do you call it? It's birthed out of, you know, racial discrimination and things of that nature. And race actually matters for how we live our lives and hearts. And there's unintentionality. 
Okay, and unintentionality is is a ministry or leadership that doesn't engage ethnic borders and racialization in, in a in a very vibrant way. Okay, so that's the three barriers, and then you have to engage those barriers. All right, so that's the quick analysis. If you want more discussion, you can email me. And we talk more about it. Okay, all right. Yes. Bless you. Bless you. Okay. He, he's been trying to come up for a while. Let's get him. Uh, two quick questions. Um, so, you know, um, a lot of ministries, you know, uh, leadership development is a sexy word. You know, but you're, you're just calling people, this needs to be your priority. So then what was that, you know, in terms of hours in your week? You know, if you're lead pastor working 55 hours a week, how many hours did you appoint to leadership develop, developing those seven people and others, would you say? I devote 25% of my time in my present position to leadership development. A quarter of my time is leadership development. And then my just second question is like, what would you say is your batting average? You know, so so when you identify and then you, like, uh, yeah, yeah. So what I mean by that is right. You identify and then you start to develop, and then sometimes people flame out. You know, when you're when you're developing or when they're empowering or you know. So we, we always you know G, you know Jesus and Judas. You know, and so yeah. What would you say? So. All right. Um, <laughs> did this go out? Okay, because um, I was going to try to go through that list in terms of go back to River of Life in my batting. My batting average of world impact is 100 percent because I've only been there a year, so it's awesome. I'm killing it, killing it, right? Um, uh, where I came from, I was at the EFCA. Um, oh, a member of my former teams on there, Chris. Were you part of my team? Yes, he was. I thought he was. That's right. I was. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry, man. My bad. My bad. <laughs> I had a what I call a Samaritan Way team. Uh, that team, I, I, what do you think, Chris? I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, I'd say about 700. I, I'd say about 700. I mean, we we did pretty good. But I was very, very, very picky about in, it, who I selected. That's the whole key. The whole key is your selection process. No one enters in easily. Okay? So, so if you are very, um, very stringent on the front end, you'll bat a high percentage, I would say. But if you're not, you're going to bat a low percentage. Now, my percentage at River of Life was much lower because I was like a good portion. I was like this brother right here. Oh, bring me your tired masses, right? Come be part of my leadership program. This fool can't even show up on time. So at River of Life, the percentage was much lower until I figured out a way of selection. Okay? Yes. Um, so I have a, a lay ministry, um, and we're we're still pretty new. We're about a year and a half old. Um, but the people that are volunteering to be leaders, and uh, I mean, we have a group of leaders there, um, but they just they just can't seem to stay committed to it because they have too many other commitments. So they keep falling 
back into like, I can't make it this week because I have my other commitment. And I'm getting this from 70% of the people that I have in leadership right now. And I can't seem to find, I mean, there's some, there's some positive things coming, but it seems like so hard to stay, keep that consistency. So I, I keep falling back on putting a lot of stuff on my shoulders because they're not showing up for their commitments. And so, you know, and it's like, if I feel like if I go, well, I'm just going to do it myself, then, you know, then I'm going to lose more leaders. Two things, criteria. If you got, okay, the, you got 70% of the people not showing? Well, I mean, they tell or, me they're not going to show up, but it's like, one week they'll come, one week they don't. So you got 30% who are on it, who are doing what they want? That's your leaders. That's your leaders. It's not enough for that ministry. So Mario then said it. See, scale out. Gotta scale down. Yeah, yeah. That thirty percent is the group you're supposed to be with. The other seven, it's like y'all do whatever. But this thirty, that's the ones. They're self-selecting out. They're telling you, I don't really hold your program serious because they get to everything else they want to get to, unless they in jail, right? <laughs> Because that does happen, okay? <laughs> Ask me how I know. But if they're not in jail, they're telling you, this is not really important to me. Yep. Yep. Sorry. All right. I like that. Uh, I just was going to say that really just spoke to me, too, even at the idea of okay, let's just keep the ministry vision a little smaller than what we expected maybe for a bit until we have the amount of manpower that we need to make our ministry larger. Um, but I wanted to hear, I, I really like the three criteria that you talked about for um, kind of vetting and identifying, but I know you said you're pretty picky about who you choose. So is there like a, I'm in my brain, I'm kind of picturing a process but what does that process look like for you? Like, how do you vet and figure out those three things and then what other things um, are kind of worth you saying, okay, I'm going to bring them into my, my 12 and really commit X amount of time to them? Over the years, the one, number one thing that I saw that, that would identify a leader is they always want more. They always want more. They can never get enough. All you CCD practitioners, the reason you wear 10 hats is why? Because you want more. You want to see God do more. You want to see this. You want to see that. I'm embarrassed for one of my regional team people. Hank, he's up here. We just had breakfast. I said, Hank, slow down. That's the type of leader I want. His buddy, L.A. City leader, Pete, he's same way. Slow down. That's who you want. Okay, folk, you got to drag. But the folk who are meeting this criteria and they always want more and they're coming and they're just like a sponge and they're just moving forward. That's huge. That's huge in terms of selection. You're welcome. Is there a time where you just... Um feel unmotivated from everything that you're doing, you're doing, and you're doing? And if so, like, in your experience, how, ha how have you dealt with it? Like, okay, you're giving and giving and giving, but how do you stay, like, how do you fill your cup of everything that you have to offer? That's my question. 
Well, there were two books that made a significant impact on me in my life. One was the old book, Boundaries. Some of you heard of Boundaries by uh, Cloud and Townsend. Revolutionized my wife because now I understood that I couldn't be available. The importance of why I couldn't be available for everybody and everything. And the main thing was for self-care of yourself. And then the other one is, is called Anatomy of Peace by Arbinger Institute, which talks about how to deal with conflict and how to build a relational pyramid and those types of things in terms of how you supervise people and how you engage folk. So I would start with, with reading those two books and applying them to your life. Yep. Um, the Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. I uh, got two questions. One, um, so I'm, I'm trying to do this, but a lot of my, the mentoring that I'm doing is cross-race and then cross-class. How do I uh, make sure I'm developing someone but not make them into mini-me in the sense of like, uh, what sort of things and values am I putting in trying to discern that, that like I'm trying to make them middle class, not like kingdom, you know? So that's my first question. Second question is the sexual immorality piece. That's just knocking out so many gifted and we feel called leaders. H how do you work with that? Uh, the first one is the, here's the, here's the harsh reality. Folk, my, my wife grew up in inner city Cleveland. So she, I was a community called person. She was a, a community citizen. Okay. She talks to me about, and she's told me about how she had to learn how to live in a middle, upper middle class world. The reality is you've got to learn some of those things if you're going to lead an organization. So it's not that you are trying to get them to sell out or anything like that. You just have to teach people, like, this is the way the leadership world works. So you have to do certain things. And they have to, you have to teach them how to value those things and make it part of their identity as well. I mean, and in terms of the sexual immorality thing, it's just, it's just, it's, you know, it's basic biblical personal holiness. You know, you have to teach people how to be holy. You have to hold them accountable to being holy. It's pretty much just that simple. Um, and in fact, I think we've lost that to tell you to God's honest truth. I mean, we, we, we sort of think that piety is not important anymore. And I can't tell you how many ministries I've seen crash and burn because someone cheated on their spouse or they stole the money and things of that nature. So it's really just a matter of anything that you do can develop personal holiness and letting them understand it and help holding them accountable to living that, that particular way. Ah, oh, man, I don't know if I can just tell you a time. I mean, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a young guy in our church. His name is Lolo. Lolo has an incredible story. Um, and we think that he has a call in his life to be a youth pastor, but he's living with his, his, his uh, young lady now. So we're trying to work with them to convince them the value of marriage. They still come to church. We love them. I say, Lolo, you need to come to my small group, my marriage small group. And, and so we're trying to teach him because the reality is he's never seen anybody married up close. So we don't ostracize him, but we're not going to move him up the pipeline until he gets that thing straight. And we're going to do everything in our power to help him to get it straight. You know, and we and we may be sinful, y'all, because we don't we ain't one of those churches that do that. Well, you got to move out and all that stuff because they kind of like don't do it. 
And even if he did, and then, and, and even if he did move out, he knows how to get in the car and drive across town to have sex and go back to his apartment. So that's not the problem. The problem is we need you to want to be celibate, okay? So that's what we're working towards. <laughs> we're trying to get them. So we try to walk with them. We don't condemn them. We show a lot of grace. We try to teach them the right way, but we hold them accountable. We hold them accountable. Yep. Thanks. Um, I've been working uh, with the community, uh, with um, our church as the base, and um, for a few years I tried to get my, some people from the church aboard, um, on board, but they never wanted to. So I started working with just brand new people from the community, but they were unbelievers, and um, I identify them, but the development part was a little bit hard because they did not know Christ. So for the first year, this year, some of the members are coming aboard and some other people from around. But I have this fear in me that they just will scare him away because they were never part of it. You know, they, um, I don't know, should I start, um, continue doing what I was doing with the people from the out, like outside unbelievers, bringing them aboard as leaders or just wait for leaders of my church to come aboard fully. Okay, what type of program is it? It's a community development. Okay, is the church sponsor it? Yes. Does the church expect Christian leaders to, leaders, the leaders to be Christian? I have that feeling, that yes. You need to get more than a feeling. You need to find out. <laughs> you need to find out what the criteria is. Uh, do they fund it? I really work for what? Okay. Okay. So you need to find out from church. In fact, you know what I would do? I would go to the church leadership. I would tell them exactly what you told me and say, hey, here's the situation. Here's what's going on. What do you all think? Because they may say, oh, this is an awesome outreach program. We see this as evangelism. Move them up. Or they may say, you're crazy, shut it down. I mean, I don't know what they're going to say. <laughs> but you do need to be open and transparent with them and talk to them about it and work, work through and see what their, their uh, feedback is. Because that's going to determine whether or not you can move them up the pipeline. Because I have a feeling they really don't care. They just okay. let me do my thing. But they don't come on board either. Yeah, but you need to t- talk to them. Because if they don't want un-Christ- uh, non-Christian people running your stuff, they're going to care when they find out. So you need to be clear up front. Yep. All right. All right. Yep. Still got 10 minutes. Um, This is a little bit more of a personal question, but um, how did you do leadership development and instill these characteristics in your daughters growing up? You're assuming they have these characteristics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In terms of what do you mean by characteristics? What do you mean? So how did I do those, the four steps with my daughters, or? How did you teach them how to be leaders and also to develop leaders? Or did you at all with that, even a focus on your daughters? Um, they got it because they helped us plant the church. They were there. They saw us when we were doing all of these things. We did them at home as well. Um, it's sort of a lifestyle for us, me and my wife. Um, so I would say that's sort of how they got it. They sort of have grown up understanding that um, we feel like God has called them to be urban leaders, um, and they are to engage in that. Um, 
we didn't force it upon them anyway. But I guess I guess the word that pops in my head is, is more of it was became a lifestyle. It wasn't something out of the ordinary. Okay, it was just stuff that we did with them. Like when I did my, just a small snippet when I when I went my PhD defense, I took my nine year old daughter with me. I said, you may do this one day, so you need to come with me. So she came, and she sat in a chair, and she popped her bubble gum, and she turned around and all that. And then I said, be quiet and pay attention, and I'll give you ice cream afterwards. So then she stayed there, and then she talked, she watched, right? Then we went for ice cream, and I talked to her about why I was getting a PhD, and I want to use it in the community and all that stuff. So it's just sort of more of like a lifestyle. You're welcome. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your develop stage and like what are some of the examples of like jobs assignments, what the evaluation process is like, uh, the priority examples of like priorities you give for people and stuff. So just talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, okay, I got. That. Let me. Let me. I'm gonna throw up an evaluation on the screen here. I can figure out how to do it. Okay. So, World Impact people, tell Darren we're put, we're putting him on blast. Okay. <laughs> Darren Busenitz. Darren Busenitz is is a is a staff member who, when I came to World Impact last year. Um, I felt like he could be a regional vice president in the Midwest. Okay, I felt like he wasn't ready, but I saw enough of him in the criteria. I said, man, this guy needs to, to be developed. So um, what we do is we set up apprenticeships. That's what we call ours. Our, um, the, the, the second step, we just call it apprenticeship. So we create pr apprenticeships. So I don't know how to make this bigger. Let me see. So, leadership evaluation. What is going well? I have observed Darren as Midwest Regional Director of Ministry over a period of eight months. It is very clear to me that he possesses natural leadership ability. He has a key requirement for leadership development, which is a high level of self-awareness. So then we talk about his areas of improvement. Okay, and I talk about that. Um, we, won't, we won't linger there for Darren's sake, right? And then we have priorities. So I said, Darren, in the next three to five years, to grow as a leader, you must focus on the following, valuing and trusting decision-making processes. Dar I told Darren he had to memorize a quote from John Wooden, be quick, but not in a hurry. He's always in a hurry. He's always on the right road. He's just driving 100 miles to get there. So it's like, Value, trusting, decision-making process. You got to learn how to process things. Evolving more from an independent producer to a team leader. Because you can be a very, very good independent producer. That doesn't automatically make you a good team leader. So we're going to focus on that. And then becoming more perceptive of operational systems. Like, Darren, budgets matter, bruh. You know? <laughs> this is how you read a budget. Okay, this is how you do things. This is how we do things, right? So then we have his growth assignment, and I'll just run for time's sake. So he's on a five-year track, okay? So we say, 
Okay, here's what we're going to work on with you and Darren. He's in Wichita. We said you're going to, dev- you're going to oversee the development of Topeka, Wichita, and St. Louis City Directors. You're going to see the oversee the development of the Midwest Regional Director of Operations. You're going to assist me to oversee Ted Smith. We're going to spin him off. You're going to identify and develop a, a, a director on your own. You're going to identify and develop an indigenous, indigenous urban leader to the level of ministry developer. You don't know all that inside language. But trust me, this is five years worth of work, okay? So, so what I do with Darren is Darren has a monthly report. I gave him a monthly sheet he has to fill out. And every month, Darren fills it out, and then we engage on these things that we talked about and we both agreed upon that he needs to grow in. Okay? What's that? Pete, Pete. No comment. Okay. Um, so, so I have said to Darren, for the next five years, I am going to personally oversee your development. Okay? And, and we're going to work together to grow you. The whole point is to increase his capacity. He has tasks now that he has no idea how to do them. That's the entire point. You're going to learn. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to help you learn how to do these things. Okay, and we actually had a discussion this week because he was he was like kind of mad at me. It's like, why are you mad at me? He's like, man, you're stretching me too much. It's like, good, stay mad, right? (laughs) But we just continue to have dialogue and capacity. But you know what Darren wants? Darren always wants more. And he may get mad at you when you give him more. But he's not going to check out. He's not going to go away. And I'm not going to leave him out there just by himself. Okay? I'm going to coach him up. And thank you for listening to the CCDA podcast. And big thanks to Alvin Sanders for teaching us about how to create a leadership pipeline. Check the show notes for the PowerPoint that Alvin references throughout the workshop. Hello, I'm Paul Miles, president and CEO of We Raise Foundation. WeRaise invests in people and organizations that serve at the intersection of poverty, violence, and inequality. We start by acknowledging that change begins with we. We are in this together, and it's going to take our love and our compassion and dedication to solve the problems facing communities today. We invite you to be part of that with us and encourage you to visit WeRaise.org to find out how you can become involved and be a partner with WeRaise. Thank you for listening to the CCDA podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is produced by Dan Portnoy in association with Scott Overbeck.